Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, this is Seth Payne, and this is the Deceptively Fast Podcast. That background noise is because I am recording this from the pregame show that my radio co-host Sean Pendergast and I do. So this is before the Texans-Rams game, something that I'm sure is going to go just smashingly by the time you're listening to this podcast. You'll email me and text me and tell me about all the glory that happened in this game for my Houston Texans. But... Today I've got Andrew Hodgton. We both watched the Manning cast when they interviewed Tom Brady, and there was some really interesting stuff in there. This is actually very relevant to nose tackles and centers. Drew Hodgton was a center. So enjoy the podcast. Give it a five-star review if you so choose. And subscribe. And other than that, follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Seth C. Payne. And if you got any suggestions, go ahead and email me, Seth.Payne at Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Seth.Payne at Odyssey.com. Enjoy the show. Drew Hodgson, my old teammate from the Houston Texans. He also went to Arizona State. He's also a Californian, so he's not a Yankee. He's not a Southerner. He's just nothing. According to, uh, that's what they said, right, in um, Days of Thunder. That's right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a West Coast elitist. <laughs> so now he's, but now you're an Austinite, which is pretty much just like being a Californian, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Only like I'm more hated here than I ever would be, like at least in my native space. You know, I'm like, I'm one of the good ones, guys. I'm not one <laughs> Wait a second. You're hated in Austin? Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's like, a, there's a major uh, whiplash against Californians transplants oh. that are in Austin now. Oh, yeah. But you didn't, you didn't come to Austin directly from california that's what you have to explain to people exactly yeah that's the pass that's the free pass that gives so, me the ability to exempt myself from the other los angelin los angelinos that move here and just didn't ruin the the cool organic austin vibe dude i feel like you're a two-time loser with that because you're already you. you're a texan which means when you go elsewhere there's a certain number of people that are gonna be like oh you're from texas huh i disapprove yeah. of you yeah and you mean now, literally anyone unless they're from florida yeah, yeah. i you're from texas so i 100 percent know exactly what you stand for um, totally yes. but now because you're a californian yeah. living in texas you're uh, you've hit the double whammy now i doubly know what you stand for and you lose <laughs> in either direction yeah you're it's screwed like, you can't yeah, win with anybody. Great. It's not so, great. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, we watched the Manning cast on Monday Night Football, or at least we watched a portion of it when the uh, the the Saints were playing the the Seattle yes. team, the Seahawks. And uh, I, I had you watch 
specifically the Tom Brady part because I thought they they said some things in there and they talked about some things that were very relevant to nose tackles and centers. For people that don't know Drew, Drew is a center in the NFL. Um, and and I, the first thing I noticed when the Mannings had Brady on was that Peyton was all business. Like he really, he really wanted to pick. He really like he told, he basically told Eli to shut up a couple times to try to, because he had questions to ask Tom and he knew he only had Tom for a half hour. Cause Tom has right. a very strict schedule. Right. Yeah. I, I was, it was kind of interesting seeing how candid it felt like Peyton Manning's energy level was, we're behind closed doors doing like the old man locker room talk war veteran yeah. dynamic. And maybe Eli was not on that page. And Tom was definitely still mostly in like marketing branding mode for like a lot of that. And it was kind of interesting because it just felt like Peyton. I loved it because Peyton Manning seemed like he was just being very, very direct. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he wanted to know, like, yeah, Peyton had very serious questions. Not, yeah. I guess, not serious, but like, questions. wanted to know exactly, like, how does Tom do things philosophically? I think right. the other, the other mode that Tom was in was, yeah, I'm an active quarterback in the NFL. So, like, when you ask me what don't I like to see on defense, I can't tell you that. <laughs> it's like, uh, still surprising how how open he was, though. He was, I mean, yeah. I was, I was pretty surprised by that. I mean, he gave a, he's, he's still going. Yeah, and we'll get to actually a couple of those uh, later. One of the first things they talked about was the weather because the weather was kind of miserable in that game. And Brady had said that he just he's gotten soft since he's in Tampa. He doesn't want anything to do with any of the, the cold weather. And I, I felt that because I grew up in that weather, and I used to think of it as a point of pride. Um, but now I'm a, just a complete wimp and a coward when it comes to facing cold weather. I, the thought of playing an athletic event – in sub freezing temperature right now makes me makes me cringe like it's be the I'd, I'd rather die than go play a football game in like a freezing rain oh same yeah likewise i think there's no doubt it's about, you learn this a lot i think when you're playing in college because you just do not that you obviously don't travel all over the place in the nfl but it's just like there really is like a pretty wide variety of you know like scenery when you're traveling in college for those college games, I mean, you might play like all the way in the Pacific Northwest and then you're playing Iowa. Yeah. You know, and then you're playing. And it's like when you, when we were, I was at ASU, like you mentioned, and we're in the desert, we could not beat teams that were in cold weather climate. Oh, really? We, oh, we totally, it was brutal. The, yeah. I mean, you are just, you are conditioned for that, for that kind of obstacle you're used to it. There's something to it on top of the fact that like, there's a level of like innate toughness. I think that just comes with it that like, you just don't have when you're not there. It's just like the reality of it. There like, is, there's something about, cause I can remember growing up and especially like when you have early morning wrestling workouts and stuff, mm-hmm. there's, there's something about the fact that you feel physical pain every day from the cold. Like you yeah. just, you grow up and for several months out of the year, you're like, you're, you're out early in the morning and the car is not warm and you're just like really, really physically uncomfortable. I, d- I think it does harden you somehow. Well, and it used to be, this was like back when, and, and you know what it's like when you, it's like that first time you smash your hand between like two face masks in like yeah. cold weather. Yeah. And it just feels like the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And then you go on the sideline and the only heaters they have are like those ones that are like jet turbine engines that spray propane (laughs) fumes directly into your, like into your frontal lobe. You're just like, I am, I'm high. 
No. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's true. I forgot about the, the kerosene. Yeah. It's, yeah, a the really, kerosene. it's a really it's a really strong kerosene smell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you're over there, you're huffing between you're series. You're just huffing. You're just huffing <laughs> kerosene. And it's also just burning your like your sideburn hair, but not helping any other part of you. I, I yeah. remember we played with the Texans, we played one of the coldest games ever in Soldier Field history up in Chicago. And I can remember between during a TV timeout asking, oh, oh, what's his name? That really good center from the Bears. You know, I'm Olin talking Krutz. about Olin Krutz. Yeah. I remember like I was like, dude, how the hell are you even holding on to the ball? He's like, yeah. I don't know, man. I just he like you just you kind of you, you think your way through it because it was it was that ridiculous. The cold think about how cold it gets in Chicago. This was the coldest wind chill ever on yeah. that day. Um, and, and I think that's centers are one thing, but then obviously the skill position guys are the biggest ones because the, the receivers and the quarterbacks, they're just not accustomed to, to throwing and catching footballs without right. being able to feel their fingers. Right. Did you ever, do you ever a hard time? Did you ever like bobble a snap or anything because of cold weather? I don't think so. I don't ever remember really having like specific struggles because of it. I mean, we probably played some really brutal rain. I think yeah. a couple games like that. Which did like we played like an Oregon game and had like a bobbled snap, I think, one time, but that was really it. It's more like just oh. like you said. I mean, it's the it's the skill players where everything just looks so sloppy. I mean, everything it just brings the the execution down, you know, a few notches. So one of the questions that Peyton Manning was asking Tom Brady that I, w- I was actually kind of surprised that Tom Brady was as forthcoming with some of it as he was, was the QB sneak. Because Jameis Winston ran a couple QB sneaks in this game. And Tom Brady, as everybody knows, is like one of the all-time best quarterbacks running the QB sneak. And he said, yeah, I I like it because you've got 900 pounds in front of you in that small little space. You should be able to get a couple yards. And from my perspective, as he was describing it, I just, I, I went back to thinking about, yeah, as a nose tackle, when you know the QB sneak is coming, it sucks because you're just like, it It feels like a test of your manhood, but one that is completely stacked against you because <laughs> it's like, it's me, I'm a 300 pound guy going versus a center and a guard who weighs 600 pounds, at least right. maybe 700 pounds. Right. And uh, like, I'm screwed. So you always, you're always thinking like, all right, I'm either going to submarine this, or maybe I try to right. take him up high and try to drive him back. But it, it does feel like a, I was actually always amazed when we ever actually stopped the QB sneak. Yeah, the, well, the only thing that the, the defense obviously has really working in their favor is that they know theoretically that it's coming. Yeah. And they know where it's going to go. And so you're hoping that, like, maybe that's enough to execute and stop it. But it's still, I mean, we talked about it before in kind of the show prep where it's like the only thing that still shocks me is that there's just a lot of quarterbacks that are still not great at it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that's still, it's kind of shocking how few have really kind of figured out the technique to be able to execute on just getting that one yard, which they should be able to every time. It seems like one of those things that maybe Brady actually thinks about a lot and watches a lot of film on and knows where where maybe some quarterbacks think like, oh yeah, it's 900 guys and uh, 900 pounds of guys in front of me and I'm good to go. Because you can see with Brady, a lot of times, sometimes he takes a little quick gather step to kind of assess the situation. So he's just more calm, cool, and collected in that moment. Because if it... If a, I mean, if you do, 
all of a sudden face a blitz where linebackers are coming up into that A-gap or something. You're kind of screwed as a quarterback. He just says, I think that's what it is with him. He's so good at diagnosing pre-snap that he knows what he's going to see. Like, and he knows whether he can tell whether a linebacker is actually coming or not. Absolutely. Well, and he's clearly thinking about it as an actual play that's in the offense. Yeah. That's, that's part of what they're trying to do. Whereas so many other guys, it looks like a playoff. Like yeah, it looks like it looks like a field goal PAT. We're just going to tr- run out there, do it like we always do, go through the motions. Where he's actually thinking about how he's going to execute it and get the yard. Like yeah. the other guys, you watch them go, and they're not even really thinking about where they're going. They're not stopping and thinking about where the gap is. They're not really driving their feet in the right way. They're not putting their body. Oh, should I go high? Should I go low? You know, it's like he's treating it as like an actual play that needs a little bit of effort. Yeah, it's all. It's one of those things that probably separates him where maybe he couldn't even tell you exactly like when he thinks about the QB sneak or anything. It's just something he thinks about in his off time and he's watching. Right. I don't know if it's part, it's probably part of his weekly routine though, too is kind of going through and checking like, okay, in this situation, this is exactly how I'd run the QB sneak. One thing, see one thing he divulged in this interview that I was surprised at was that he said, he said, I, I don't think I've ever run a QB sneak twice in a row. Cause Winston ran it twice in a row in this game. And that, that seems like the kind of thing where he might think, like, well, look, oh, yeah, defense coordinators know that, but I'm not so sure they all do. I, was, I, was I like, agree. Yeah, and as a right. defensive lineman, I'm sitting there listening to them like, oh, crap. Like, man, I wish I had known that, you know, about a certain quarterback in any given game that, oh, yeah, I don't have to worry about the QB sneak at this point because then I would have yes. shot the gap or something. Okay, but then, but then you wonder, in kind of in Belichickian way, is Brady just saying that because now he knows that people will know not to expect the QB sneak a second time in a row after he's already run it once. That's incredible. I hope that's what it is. I hope it was some kind of five dimensional chess. Yeah. 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 But so I agree. It, I feel like he was giving him a little too much credit. <laughs> well, now they know that I'm going to go in the a gap. Cause I, I'm like, you're, you are overestimating how dialed the, in there. The other thing that he talked about with the, that, I had never really thought about as a player that I kind of wish I knew at the time was they were talking about the crowd noise and obviously crowd noise is a big deal. And a lot of times teams go to the silent count. And, and for those of you that don't know, silent counts just when um, the, the the offensive line is going off the snap of the ball the same way the defensive line is. So it's an advantage for the defense because they don't, the, the offense doesn't have as much of an ambush uh, approach and the part that I didn't really get or hadn't thought about was that it's a lot harder to go under center with the silent count than it is to go from shotgun because as a quarterback like it's one thing to it's one thing to kind of know when the snap is coming from the shotgun but it's another when your hands are open right and it, or, or did I misread that um it's it's still pretty rare to go on silent under center yeah. So I haven't seen that a whole lot. And I know they were kind of talking about it. So it's like, it's got to be outrageously loud to, so, okay. to have to do that. So, so generally, usually, if they're under center, they can do it. Because what he was saying was that he'll he'll talk to the tackles about it and ask if they can mm-hmm. hear it or not. So it's got to be. So for, yeah. a set, for, for the quarterback to be under center, 
and not be heard by the tackles. That's like a ridiculously loud. It has to be outrageously loud. Okay. I mean, it really does. Like, because, and the reason why is because for the reasons that you're probably about to dig into more is that you really, I mean, unless you are a team, like you look at so many college offenses now, and now it's kind of crept into the NFL where they make their, their bread and butter is a silent count. I mean, that is their standard yeah. to offense. They might do like the clap count. Like you see guys doing. But generally, like if they're doing it all the time and that's just how they make their hay, then okay, they're probably used to it. But generally, if you can get out of that, you don't ever want to opt for the silent count. You're not going to choose to do it. Right. So it's like they really have to be struggling hearing when the guys, when a quarterback is under center for them to opt for it. I mean, you're going to say, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this because you'll see guys where they resort to like hand holding. You see that, like, where guards will hold the tackle's hand. Yeah. And the tackle will let go of their hand as they're going. And at the NFL level, when you have defensive ends that are vying for a defensive MVP of the league and you're going, you're getting off at the same time. That's not a good recipe. <laughs> that sucks for success. <laughs> yeah. It was a recipe for a complete, you know, losing your job. I'll, I'll, I'll have you explain this part of it because I get these questions all the time and I get tired of explaining it. And it's a fair observation that people have, but I get this all the time during the season. People say, Hey Seth, um, look, Whenever the Texan center lifts his head, that's when the snap is coming, and defensive linemen know it. Because so, so explain to me the way the silent count works. So the silent count usually the way it'll work is, and they've teams have kind of like changed this up. I think some still try to do the clap count even when it's loud, but usually you have quarterbacks and they'll be signaling, they'll tell the center directly, you know, as they're going up to address the ball that it's basically on them. They yeah. usually can signal it by obviously lifting their foot. The center can see that he's ready, or they can just put their hand down and they're signaling to the center. It's on the center to snap it whenever they're ready to go. Uh-huh. Usually you're going to have some kind of signal where when the center goes down and then he looks up as you've been practicing with your team throughout the season and in the past, where there's the same pause from the time that their head goes up and they snap the ball. So that's the rhythm. Head goes down. They see it. Head goes up snap the ball head goes yeah. down and that pause might be different for every team the rhythm can be different and, and that sometimes you go on two correct right like yeah. that's a, and that's a big part is that that it's not so simple as a defensive lineman to just time correct. it up that it's right. when the head comes sometimes you're going to go on two yep you're going to go down you're going to check yeah check again you can check you know they that those are like the minor differences you can do but it's like how much is that really helping i don't know yeah you know? well that's what in the, the part that and I've seen this with some teams sometimes. I, the, the part that always astounded me is I don't like in a high stress environment where you take five guys that are supposed to get the timing and the rhythm down of a silent count where like the head comes up. There's a certain undefinable pause, but that it's supposed to be consistent. It it feels like a it feels like a sense of rhythm in a high stress environment that's yeah. impossible to achieve. But some teams do a pretty good job of it. Other yeah, teams, are, there's yeah. like a, well, there's always like one guy that just can't quite get it right. Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like and it's the same. It's the same way. That's why those teams. It's never. It seems like a mystery to me. It seems like the ones that really that's that's kind of like the core of their offense is just the gun formation. I mean, yeah. they're in gun all the time, whether they're used to silent count or not, they have the rhythm down. They understand even like the clapping rhythm. Most of the tackles just have an innate sense of when that center is probably going to snap it. So they have like, you. it's kind of that, um, it's like that physical, that muscle memory element. Yeah. that just like, it becomes part of just the daily rhythm of what you've been practicing every single day. 
we've seen in Houston, Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle at times, Oof. has almost well. He's but there's times true where he times it so well that like it is simultaneous, but to the ref, it looks like it's like it's early because everybody else is a little bit off. So is that right. is that Laramie Tunsil just not? getting in rhythm enough with the rest of the offensive linemen or is it the other four offensive linemen or other three guys other than the center are just uh, like uh, not as attuned as he is? Well, it's funny you say that because his first year when he was getting just an outrageous amount of false start penalties. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was, we, we had talked about it then where I just was kind of nauseated at how I couldn't believe that a guy that is that talented and that good can just completely give up focusing on that part of his game i mean i'm like you cannot be getting that many i mean that's just like for a guy that's as good as him that's just like such a huge like open spot in his game and then i started looking at it again when he was getting him more recently and it's just like you said where i think it's kind of got one of those things where he has like a little bit of a scarlet letter and they're sort of like nailing him now when he's actually just like right on it i mean he's pretty he's pretty much just hitting it at the exact right time he's really fast his sets are really quick. His feet are really quick. And he's, it doesn't say, you know, it used to be to me where it just looked bad. I mean, it was egregious, but now it's like, nah, I think they're kind of just on him now. Yeah. I just feel like it's like him. It'd be like if he was in a, in a, in a dance core and, or like a dance troupe and he was actually the one good dancer and the other four were really bad, (laughs) but it makes him look bad because the other four are doing things the wrong way. So they're all in the same bad rhythm. Yeah. Look at this guy. This guy's arrhythmic. He's awful. (laughs) The other thing that the other thing Tom Brady said, which kind of drove it home about how crowd noise can affect the game. He said, look, if six or seven game, if six or seven plays in a game are affected by crowd noise, that might not sound like a lot, but that's 10% of your plays. You get 60 yes. to 70 plays on offense. That's a big deal. Like, that's a huge advantage. I still get, because people still ask me, you know, is it really, like, does crowd noise really make that big of a difference? And I guess it just, I understand, because it, even as I try to explain it, it sounds like it shouldn't be that big a deal, but it's enough of a wrench in your plans that it really does. It's especially with gambling and whatnot over the course yes. of time. Yeah, yeah. It screws up. It could be worth a, a field goal or a touchdown easily. When the margin of error is so slim and then you're thinking, try to get any 11 people moving in the same direction, communicating cleanly and operating yeah. and accomplishing a goal all at the same time, 70 times in a row. And now try to do it while people are screaming over the communicating you're trying to do. Of course there is. There's going to be mistakes, right? And so it's like for offenses, especially, they're a little more exotic. They do more motion. They do more shifting, stuff like that. All that stuff becomes exponentially more difficult. And just like yeah. you said, it one of the things that just like used to trigger me, and, and I don't even know that it was, you know, that they're wrong, but you probably saw some element of this, like when you're in team meetings and coaches would always show like one play where they go, well, look what happens here. And it'll be like the perfect play that they drew up and the receiver just, you know, beats like cover two somehow and he's wide open. And yet someone did the wrong thing or got off late. They got off late on the snap (laughs) and then the defensive end comes free and they're showing the receiver wide open and they go, this is a touchdown right here. Yeah. This is a touchdown. And look, this one play, <laughs> because when you go, well, it's crowd noise and I couldn't, and they're like, yeah, but these are the plays that we leave on the field. This is a touch. And you're just like, you know what, man, there's 20 <laughs> plays like that. A game. There's 20 touchdowns so a game. It's there's so, so many touchdowns that are almost touchdowns, coach. Yeah, you know, you're just kind of like, give me a break, but it's true. 
You know, the thing that people ask now, which is a very fair question, is they'll say, well, look, I watch these teams that use all kinds of pre-snap motion and all kinds of complexity on offense, and it works really, really well. How come every team doesn't do that? And it's because it is really hard. Like, it is a testament to how good those coaches and those teams are that can use a lot of pre-snap motion. There's so many things that can go wrong in a football play. Even if you just, everybody lines up and stays in the same spot. And the more complexity and the more wrinkles you add to it, it just, it compounds exponentially the number of things that can go wrong, right? Right. So it is like, it's, it's really those teams that can use motion a lot and use a whole lot of different uh, pre-snap alignments and everything. It's just, it, it takes a lot of discipline to pull that off. Right. So let's see the other. Oh, 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 this was interesting because Gronk was on with these guys, the Mannings, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. And he had said that he doesn't watch any film. And a lot of people wondered, like, okay, is, I think I, I might have said this too. Um, I, I Like, a lot of people were wondering whether Gronk was just joking at all or if he actually does watch a lot of film. Brady kind of... Brady kind of confirmed that Gronk doesn't watch a lot of film. Are you buying it, or do you think Brady was just going along with it? I, it's hard. It's there's. It's hard to say because I feel like is he really just going to throw him under the bus like that? Maybe he would. Yeah, he might do that. He might just throw him under the bus because I almost feel like his his persona is such that it's like everyone's no one surprised. No one's over there thinking that he's. Gronk is in there crushing hours of film a day, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the perception, right? So it's like, I don't know. And then it's, I don't even know if a lot of tight ends are watching an outrageous amount of film all the time, you know, and he's just such a physical presence that it's like, is that the kind of game that he usually is playing? You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's I, hard to say. I kind of lean towards, I think he was being honest. It would be, I think he was being honest too, because what Brady said was that, Gronk processes information really fast. And if anything, you don't want to give him too much information. You just want to be able to <laughs> right. pick it up and let him go. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, you're, yeah, as far as what tight ends need to know in terms of studying film, that might be one of the, that might be, I, I you know, system, if a, it's system by system. If a I guy, think. if he is really giving a damn about his, pass blocking and everything you might want to like wish that he would study the defensive ends more than anything like instead of thinking about the passing game with Gronk the most important thing might be like okay this is this defensive ends best pass rush move or what have you but yeah I think uh I think we I think I don't think you have to overanalyze this I think Gronk is a kind of like a big dumb galoot (laughs) really physically gifted but he is he is very he does have a very good football IQ and a very good feel for things clearly um, yeah but I could, but I could appreciate, because I don't know if you've ever been through this, but I did too. Where like I used to watch a lot of film, and, and but I always had to strike the right balance between overthinking it. Like, and sometimes it was a matter of okay, I got to remember when I'm watching film more than anything. Instead of worrying about formations and specific percentages and tendencies and everything, right. I just got to get really really comfortable with what this offense looks like. Like what does so that when I get into the game. Everything it feels like I've already been there before, and then I can start to pick up on on how 
this particular week's game plan for this offense is going to be. Well, especially at the NFL scouting level, because I've seen the scouting reports that the defensive players would get, and they have it broken down by percentage probability of what play it's going to be in which formation and which personnel group. So you can probably find yourself just going down this rabbit hole of, well, 11% of the time when they have two tight ends in, they're going to run power to this side. And then I got to think about, it's like, you can just paralyze yourself. Yeah, getting into that instead of relying on your natural ability to just react as you see it and know what's coming by just having repetition over the course of your the last 20 years of playing football, you know, where it's like, yeah, and I found myself doing the same thing. I never fully found the balance. Right. I mean, I I would I would watch way too much film and then overthink it. Think that this guy's oh, they're going to run a game here. Watch. This is going to be the one time where they run the game. And then, of course, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. Is it? Yeah. If you go in thinking. And it used to get, it would be scary as a player sometimes because when the defensive coordinator is talking about how they have these strong tendencies, all you're thinking is like, yeah, yeah the, that offense knows that they have a strong tendency. They are just like, and they're, they've got something for it now. Yes. It, it, would, yes. it would scare the crap out of you when they yeah. would talk about how, you know, when they let up this formation, we're going to run this blitz. I'm like, oh boy, they're, this, not, <laughs> not against us. They're going to do the exact opposite. Exactly. So, yeah. so what I would always try to do as a player, I, and these are the kinds of things that you don't really figure out until like your 10th year in the league. And by then your body's shot. But yeah. my last couple of years in the league, I would go in, I would watch a lot of film. Like I always did, but it would be more just like putting myself in the first person. Like when I watch film, I'd close my eyes, I'd visualize and I'd try to picture myself in the various plays that an offense would run. But I would always, I would, my, my strategy going into the game would be like, I'm going to take the first quarter to see what it actually looks like in real life. And then all of a sudden everything would kind of click. Like your, your brain would bridge the gap between what you watched on film and what it looked like in real life. And I could start to just get a feel for like, Oh, okay. I know this guy's pulling. I couldn't find it during the week or I thought maybe I had an inkling of when this guy was pulling, but now that I'm seeing it field level and in person, I know exactly when he's pulling and all that. So it's yeah, you gotta, it's, it's meshing your right brain with your left brain and figuring out like, what is that? that line between instinct and like actual book learning that's right it's hard to figure out and a lot of yeah. you guys yeah if you do it I, when i was younger i overthought it and i ended up playing robotically the other uh the the red zone the red zone philosophy is interesting because peyton manning asked about getting down into the red zone and brady like very much just the old school cliche football term said yeah, when you get down to the red zone, you got to be able to run because it's really, really hard to pass. There's everything compresses, and it's it, it's not a place. This is what surprised me was he said this isn't the place for the Welkers and the Danny Woodheads. You know, this is a place for the Gronks. And Manning said, yeah, or the Mosses. Like, this is a place yeah. for big guys and big targets because <clears throat> you're not – even if you do – deceive somebody or get open underneath or something the windows close too tightly and that and that first and foremost you got to be able to run the ball down there yeah the windows close tight the defense has much more ability to be intuitive and react yeah. to it and and perceive what's going to happen and that's like where all the guys that make that hay like welker and those guys on those slants and everything else that is like a dangerous situation for them, usually in the red zone. When you're physically to scary spot. Physically scary yeah. spot. Like that's not a good place for them to be in. So yeah, that's why like those guys who are just rangy, it's just huge for them to just be down there, throw high, 
let, let him make a play on the ball, and then if not, just run it. It is. It's like if you think almost like a, like in a kung fu movie or something, the red zone, it gets to be that point where like guys are doing that extreme hand fighting in close quarters <laughs> and everything, you know? Yeah. Like it's just yeah. it, there's no there's no room to move or anything. Everything is like there and immediate. Well, what's funny too is you realize the closer you get to the goal line, the different when you're the one of the when you're the players that are in the box, like I'm sure everybody listening to this knows what that term means, but like when you're in the box, the difference between what you're really doing in a run play or a pass play becomes less and less significant they're kind of just like all sort of plays that are just yeah. happening and it's like it's going to be over in a second whether yeah you're, i'm not going to get to like run block and get to the second level i'm not going to right drive yeah guys to the like the combo is not going to get finished it is it's, gonna, it's, it's just like it's gonna be a stalemate and yeah it's like you're hoping it just like in pass pro it's like gonna be a stalemate probably for a second and the ball's gotta get out and that's oh. just like well, and that was another part of uh, a part of it that was surprising to me that Tom Brady divulged anything. But I think it did show maybe the difference between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, because because Manning ran very simple offenses. You know, they didn't have a bunch of plays or anything. But Manning asked Brady, like, so when you get down to the goal line, how many plays did you guys have? Do you have like two runs and two passes? And Brady kind of demurred like he didn't he didn't want to say any, he said well maybe a few more than that um but like as as a guy who played against the colts red zone quite a few times i kind of wish i'd i'd wish i'd known they're like oh yeah they really only in any given game have two runs and two passes like they keep it as simple as possible because you, you don't actually spend that much time down at the goal line like it's yeah. a very like you can remember during practice it's rare the amount of time you spend on goal line in practice is very disproportionate to the actual number of times that you see it in a game. Yeah, that it can but, happen. Yeah, yeah, it's rare. And it's like a rare small package that you have in your offense. And it was it, it's surprising because anytime you would watch the Colts on film, I mean, I'm sure you saw their offense a lot more than I did on film. But when I would look at them on film, I just always thought, like, how are they getting yards? I don't understand how they're actually getting these <laughs> yards because this offense looks pretty bad. Like it did. It never looked good on film. Yeah. And yet, and yet he was just threading the needle to the open guy and they yeah. would just find a way to get yards. And I'm like, it's just, it, it makes sense. Like their offensive was, line never looked dominant. Their backs yeah. never looked like phenomenal other than like Edger and James, I guess. But you know, they just, it, it was away. just that Peyton Manning had the defense on a string. You know, yeah, right. and and I think they did. They were, they did what good offenses do is that the uh, the run game and the pass game complemented each other. You know, they weren't just out there running plays like throwing darts at a dartboard. They were kind of mm -hmm. what's the, what's the old saying? You're not uh, you're not building the you're not building the brick wall. You're not laying blocks. You're you're painting a you're painting a picture like right. you're, you're actually like he, he was figuring out, okay, how am I going to pepper this defense in various ways and, and forms? And he was just really, really good at it. That the defensive counterpoint to that would be when Peyton asked uh, Brady, like, okay, what kind of a defense do you, what kind of a defense gives you more trouble? Is it some of these static defenses, kind of like the way the Seahawks were forever or mm -hmm. the Tampa two defenses back in the day where they just run a couple of looks and they do it the same way all the time or are well, the, Col the Colts defense was the same way when he was yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just cover two, right? Yeah. Like all the that's time. all they did. That's all they did. And, and four down 
Brady yeah. did a good job of saying, like, well, I used to have a hard time with, who do you say, oh, Miami's defense back in the day, which was very simple and always the same. But I also had a hard time with the Rex Ryan defense, which is the exact opposite. It was, like, extremely complex. And and I think what both those guys stumbled into basically saying, or they didn't stumble into it, but what they both said was that it just depends on what the personnel is. <laughs> like if right. you got if you got <laughs> exactly. guys that can kick your ass, they can do it this way or they can do it that way. And, yeah. and yeah. one thing Brady said that was interesting was he thought that offenses had more answers now for the complex defenses. And it sounded like he was saying because of the RPOs and because of being able to spread it out and maybe go up tempo more. They can they can take some of the juice out of some of those complex defenses. Totally, it seemed like the answer, without getting too you know cerebral about it, but like to the response to all of these exotic zone blitzes, which became where it was just seemed like it was giving everybody fits for the most part. If they had a really good couple of pass rushers and like a really athletic outside linebacker, those zone blitzes just if they were timed up well became impossible for linemen to prevent it from turning into like a sack fumble once mm-hmm. a game, it felt like. And so then they started doing like some of these RPOs or incorporating it at the college level and then taking on. And now it's like, oh, well, we've pre-designated who we're circling as the weak point. And now no matter what you do, we're just going to throw either the bubble or we're going to get it to the guy coming out of the swing or we're just going to run it and hand it off. It's like they've really kind of dialed that in and, and at the NFL level. It's been interesting. I hate it. I kind of don't really like watching it that much. Oh, really? As an offensive guy, you don't like it? No, I don't like it as an offensive guy. I like it. I like how Kansas City does it because it's just like a thing of beauty. They execute at such a high level that it's impossible not to enjoy watching it. Yeah. But a lot of the other stuff, just like I can't stand it. I don't don't like it. It just is everything is so up and down versus kind of like the, the fluid movement of like how zone reads and bootlegs used to be. Yeah. Now it's just like you're just throwing to an open spot. It's just like a, throwing to an open bubble, throwing to – it's not as interesting. It feels yeah. almost like more – even though it's added a lot of complexity, it almost feels simplistic. Pre- predetermined. It's yeah. Pre-de- it feels predetermined yeah. in a lot of ways. It, you know? well, and, and that's it, not to it, minimize the decisions they're making because they're obviously really complicated, but like, you know. Well, the, 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 the one thing about it too is – I wonder, and I heard Greg Cassell talking about this because he was saying like I don't that he doesn't think the RPO can be your your bread and butter of your offense, you know, like that can't be the bread and butter of your run game. And I think I think I think one of the reasons for that is that your offensive linemen aren't firing off the ball, Correct. right? So it yeah. just doesn't it doesn't establish a certain level of physicality that the defense yeah. has to account for. It becomes much more of a pitter patter. You know, it's, a, a signing yeah. game than it does become just the the actual brutality like, of football. It becomes like position blocking. It feels much more like position oriented and not. I would. I. I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of more like a player. Like if I, yeah. I would hate to play in that kind of offense. Well, Brandon, would, you know, Brandon Staley was talking about the 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 importance of running the football. And and I think for one, he didn't touch on this, at least in the clips I saw, but Brady already talked about the importance in the red zone of being able to run the football. But what Staley was bringing up, too, was that, like, look, there's a like you have to establish a certain level of physicality. Mm-hmm. And and he also said that, look, you don't have to run the football well to to mm-hmm. to use play action. But I do think. And I don't know if the advanced stats bear this out or not, because I know the stats show that, yeah, you can run play action even if you're not running the ball well and it's effective. But there's something about 
a team that's actually committed to running the football. And that's the thing. It's like you don't have to run the ball well, but you have to show you're committed to running the football. And that's what makes the play action go. And if you run an RPO, that doesn't really feel like commitment. Like I'm not no. like, all right, like oh, you're gonna you're gonna fire six inches off the ball and then pull up. Like that doesn't that doesn't get me to settle my like sink my hips and play the run. Yeah, it's kind of what that like Kubiak Shanahan style had always executed so well. It's showing that you know what, maybe it's like zone and it doesn't look as physical as some of like you know this gap scheme like Pittsburgh Steeler old school stuff. But we're showing that we will keep doing this even if we're getting one yard. Yeah. Every single time we're not going to stop trying to do it. And the defense eventually just like would they'd have to respect it. They have yeah. to. They're yeah. going to keep doing it. And the it as a result, the play action always looked so legitimate. It always looked so good. It looks exactly the same every time. And so they had to, you know, safety started creeping down. They had to start getting closer. If you start like popping one and it's like that's I think that's the beauty of it. And just like you said, that RPO stuff, it doesn't look the same. Well, you know what? The same. And yeah. it also doesn't it doesn't wear a defense down. Right. Because the one thing that the zone run especially does so well is man, it wears you down. Your legs are tired. And yeah. I think sometimes sometimes people think that when you talk about wearing a defense down with the run game, I think they think that you're saying like, oh yeah, you're physically beating them up and they're going to quit. I mean, that can happen, but a lot of it like in the Kubiak system is just that you know, you get you get your your asses worn out from running yeah. sideline to sideline. You're line. going sideways. You're yeah, going side- yeah, laterally yeah. the entire yeah. time, and it's great. It's like yeah. it's it's easy as an offensive lineman, really, relative to what a lot of the other grinding you have to do. And when you get guys going sideways, it's so much easier to get them off balance. It's just easier to work up to the next level. There's a lot of benefits to it, and especially if you're doing it against those really good run defenses that have like a, a monstrous like Vita Vea type dude, yeah. like like Vita Vea or Vince Wolfork, any of those guys. At a certain point in the fourth quarter, they, no matter how hard they play, it, like their bodies just they're wear down if they have to run sideline to sideline like that. Yeah, they don't want it easier to chop down too. Yeah. All right, buddy, we probably went too long on this, but yeah, um, that was a long one. <laughs> I got excited about listening to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I know. So, all right, um, I'll uh, I'll catch up with you later this week. We'll do we'll do a second one this week. I promise, everybody. Nice. That'd be great. Appreciate it, man. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.